Welcome to the season six bonus episode review, where we talk about our favorite times, places, and events, and we get down and dirty with any little secrets that we found out, and we talk about what we need to look forward to for season seven. This is the Coffee Clatch Crew Game of Thrones episode review. Game of Thrones, oh my god. There's dragons. Gotta watch it. You see them, there's this fight scene. Oh, it's tired. And so they're really small. I cannot give you back your homes or restore your dead to life, but perhaps I can give you justice in the name of our king. Dracarys. I'm Jason Pistorino. And I'm Christina Lomangino. Welcome to our bonus one episode. This is your first and only spoiler warning. We will be talking about some book content that has not yet been revealed on the show, as well as some dreams, prophecies, and visions. If you do not want to be spoiled, now is the time. We'll also tell you when we get to that segment. I'm excited to do this bonus. One, we have the atmosphere right now because it's thunder and lightning outside and pouring out <laughs> it's like it, it was ready for this podcast yeah it's ominous we're actually going to start off on a light note though with some fun facts first a few things about the actors ewan rian the guy who plays ramsey bolton mm-hmm. he was the primary runner-up to play Jon snow but was later cast as ramsey Oh, well, thank God. He was a perfect Ramsey, and I don't know if I could get behind him as Jon Snow. I know. His face just doesn't have that same... Uh, sexiness? No, not the sexiness, <laughs> but there's something ultimate villain about him. He just plays it so well. He does. I felt the need to bring this up because there's been a lot of hate on Ramsey as the character, much the way there was a lot of hate on Joffrey as the character. But two excellent actors in Ramsey just killed it this season. I think it's just a testament of how good he played that, or how well he played that character. Uh, we are supposed to hate him. Absolutely. And we're supposed to say there's no way he could have been any other actor in this show, or any other... Because he fits it so well. Yeah. I love this next fact. In the unaired pilot, Martin actually cameoed as a Pentashi nobleman at the wedding of Caldrogo and Danny. But when the pilot was reshot, he did not appear again. How amazing would that be if George R.R. Martin was on the show, even if it was oh, yeah. just for a quick second? I wonder why he didn't the second time. I don't know. I wonder if he was already getting frustrated with them. I don't even know if it's true that he's frustrated. It just felt like he was frustrated with the show. Yeah, no, this is in the unaired pilot. The very right. first. Remember when they said they did a pilot and mm-hmm. it was really bad and they reshot it? So yeah, long time ago. I also love this next one. Roy Detrice, who many of you know as the narrator for the Song of Ice and Fire audiobooks, was cast as Grand Maester Pycelle, but had to withdraw due to health reasons. Oh. I really love him. Yeah. I don't know if, in my head, he has such a a lovely voice, like an elderly gentleman that you really want to like. Mm-hmm. Sir Barristan, I don't know, somebody n- not as uh, sort of sinister as Pycelle is at times. All right, next... The actor that plays Sir Roderick Cassell. He was the master at arms at Winterfell. This is the second time he's playing a role like that. The first one was in Titanic. Oh. He actually played master at arms in that movie. <laughs> it's a little different, though. 
The actor who plays the mountain, I will just kill his name if I try to pronounce it, so I'm not even going to attempt it. He is six foot nine in real life, which is actually shorter than Christian Nairn, who plays Hodor, who is six foot ten. Yeah, but he's also like six foot nine width-wise. That's crazy, though. These people are actually that tall in yeah, real life. big dudes. Um, that actor, he, there's a video of him sparring, I say with quotes, uh, Conor McGregor. They're in the gym. They're kind of messing around. Christian Nairn? Yeah. Oh. No, no, no. The, the mountain. The mountain. Okay. Yeah. It was funny because Conor McGregor's like slow, I mean, small and quick. Mm. And he's like, pop, 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 pop. And then the mountain is just kind of like, he can't punch him because one punch will knock him <laughs> out. So he's like just grabbing him. It's cool. You guys should Google it. It's well, kind of fun to look at. I'm five foot. So these guys are almost a full two feet taller than me. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> All right, we talk about a lot the fact that the Targaryens, one of their hallmarks in the books was their appearance, their silvery hair and their purple eyes. Danny was supposed to have violet eyes. However, the contact lenses that Amelia Clark tried to wear in the TV show affected her performance so much they were abandoned. Oh, wow. Now, I don't How know what that affect? means. I don't know if it means like they actually bothered her eyes physically or you couldn't read the emotion correctly in her performance because oh, of that? Oh, I wonder, yeah. Hmm. I'm going to assume it bothered her because we've seen contacts before in shows mm-hmm. and it hasn't killed the emotion or whatever. Maybe, it was, or it was too striking and you couldn't have like a upset moment. Mm, like I don't know. fierceness, yeah. But some people are more sensitive in their eyes. That's true. In the series, Tywin Lannister was previously married to a woman named Joanna, and they had three children before her death. I'm not sure if people know that about the TV show or remembered. In real life, Charles Dance, who played Tywin, was previously married to a woman named Joanna, and they had three children prior to their divorce. Oh, wow. (laughs) Prior to their death of their marriage, you should have said. I wouldn't have mentioned (laughs) it if it was an actual death, but it's just interesting, that parallel. This is the funnest fact for me, the last one about the actors, because it relates to the Harry Potter series, which we are huge fans of. GOT actually features nine actors from the Harry Potter series. Mm -hmm. There might even be more that played smaller roles, but this is just the list I have. Actor Bronson Webb, who plays Will, one of the, I believe, Night's Watch characters earlier on in GOT, was an unnamed Slytherin. In Harry Potter. Nice. Natalia Tenna, who plays Asha, was Nymphadora Tonks. Most people know that. They recognize her readily. Jason, you love to bring this one up. David Bradley, who plays Walder Frey on GOT, was Argus (laughs) Filch. I'm probably annoying with that. Julian Glover, Grandmaster Pycelle, was the voice of Aragog, the giant spider. Oh, Okay. Michelle Fairley, who played Catelyn Stark, was Mrs. Granger in movie seven. Huh. So she was Hermione's mom. Remember when yes, she does yeah. the, you know, wipe their memory yep. charm? Siren Hines, the guy who plays Mance Raider, was Aberforth Dumbledore. Mance wow. Raider, the king beyond the wall. Me I either. I did not put that together. Wow. That's cool. Uh, Ralph... Innocent, Innocent. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Uh, he was Dagmar Clefjaw on GOT. Played Amicus Caro, one of the Death Eaters. Mm. The first actor, I believe, to play the Mountain, Ian White, 
this is really funny, played Madame Maxime in full body shots. Remember the huge woman that comes in for oh, yes. the Goblet of Fire series? Has a kind of like a relationship with Hagrid. Yeah, <laughs> she's the, the woman in charge of the ladies' school. So when they had to show the full body scenes, it was actually this guy. Oh, I just picked up when you were talking about the mountain, the original mountain. Are you talking about when he was... Uh, human? No, there were three different actors that actually played the mountain. So I'm not okay. sure if this was actor one or two. His name was Ian White that we had before. We have this actor now, the one who I can't pronounce his name. It's Hafor Julius Bjornsson. Okay. Perhaps. I'm thinking. So the the video you might look for with Conor McGregor is the live actor or the one who plays the human mountain. So I don't know if this is Yeah, well, this, this actor was both human and dead Mountain, but the most recent one, Bjornsson. And okay. then you had the other guys who were in past seasons. I, I'm not really sure why there was so much change up with him, but... All right, I have something. Speaking of actors, I thought this was pretty cool. Probably a little bit nerdy of me. But um, there's videos on, on the YouTube <laughs> of the Game of Thrones actors, before they were Game of Thrones actors, actually trying out. Oh, for awesome. the role. Oh, what if I should never find someone so incomparably suitable and wealthy? What if it's suitable, but... So this is Amelia Clark. Yourself. <laughs> I know. He understood me. And whenever... Whenever he looked at me, I somehow felt right in this world. I am certain his affections were growing for me, and I am certain of my own love. Oh, Beth, stop it. It, it. it is not love. Dido, you stop it, won't you? You know no more of love than I myself, do you? So that was Amelia. What are they reading from? That's not Game of Thrones script. Just no, like remember, they, they didn't up. give them real scripts. Yeah, it's not even close. Yeah. So that was Amelia Clark, and then they have some compilations. So here's one with Jockin. Oh, nice. Boy, I could make a friend. I was imagining myself doing something much worse. Digging latrine pits at the end of the world. I can't imagine anything much worse. You lack imagination. I'd like to speak head. with the mountain. I'm sure he would enjoy speaking with you. You may not enjoy it as much as you think you would. Oberyn! <laughs> His baby killed Coronathan. <laughs> Lovely gown. So it's more visual. So? Yeah, you guys should check it out, though. It's definitely something looking really into. cool. It's kind of, it's crazy to see, you know, behind the glamour, you can see they're just normal people. Especially with Amelia Clark. She's so much more smiley and vulnerable in her eyes in real life when you watch that on a visual. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, I follow her on Instagram. She's always having fun. <laughs> All right, I also have some facts about the series in general. We know the viewership has been rising. As of 2014, GOT is the most watched HBO TV series of all time, slightly ahead of a record previously held by The Sopranos, no surprise, in 1999. In season one, it had 2.5 million viewers per episode on average. We are now up to 7.7 million viewers per episode in season six. Wow. I wish our podcast had that many viewers. <laughs> We've also been watching that intro title sequence. 
there was a note that three locations are shown in every intro sequence, including King's Landing, Winterfell, and The Wall. I'm sure everybody notices that mm -hmm. on a subliminal level, but we talk a lot about which locations are seen, which aren't, what might that mean. Clearly, these are three of the most important. They have never been absent. I had a great quote about the filming, and I'm not sure who said this, if it was Benioff and Weiss or one of the directors. They said, the season was a beast to make. We shot 680 hours of dailies, which translates to 3.7 million feet of film. They shot in five different countries, which we've talked about, and employed 900 crew members in Belfast and 400 in Spain. We issued 140 script revisions, and none of this would have been possible without the greatest producing team on the planet. So they're still shooting in film. I guess so. If they can count it in feet, or unless he's just estimating what that would okay. be. I don't know. That's crazy, though. All right. I also have one last video. It's with... Uh, Hodor, or the actor Christian Nairn, mm -hmm. uh, he kind of predicted his death in 2013. Oh, cool. I haven't heard this. <laughs> now, now, if he did, if he did have to die in Game of Thrones, because yeah. there have been some spectacular deaths on there and more to come, yeah. how would you like to die? If you could choose anything, how would it be? Well, I'd like to die fighting an army of White Walkers. <laughs> yeah, just sort of a huge action scene would be nice. I would enjoy that. Yeah. Now, out of those theories that you mentioned, do you have a particular favourite one? Um, I like the I like the Kagan brother one. To be honest, um, hmm. I don't want to give spoilers. Ball. Obviously, I'm, I'm being so <laughs> careful not to give away spoilers. But um, obviously, uh, if you know the story, Sandor's face was pushed into the fire by Gregor, and who's to say that he didn't do something to Hodor? He threw him out of a window, and that could be why he's slightly special, slightly brain damaged. <laughs> liking that. Well, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a theory. I like the Targaryen one too. That would too, have been though. cool. Yeah, so. well his brain was slightly damaged from what happened. And the Targaryen theory, that was popular amongst fans that he could have been another secret Targaryen. I also heard one of the fans had predicted a long time ago that Hodor actually meant hold the door. And they were in an elevator with George R. R. Martin and brought this up to him and Martin said, you have no idea how close you are. Wow. I don't know if that's true. That's just hearsay. Uh, but or maybe he just said, hold the door. And it the... clicked in the fan's mind. Yeah. He was like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> he said it really fast or something. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's awesome. Okay, let's move next into reviewing quickly, episode by episode, our Raven ratings versus what the IMDb rating was. Okay. Episode one, The Red Woman had an IMDb rating of 8.4. I gave it my Raven rating of 8. I gave it 8.5. Ooh, pretty close there. And this was directed by Jeremy Podeswa, and my own the throne for that week was Davos. So funny, looking back into it, I can't remember what episode was what episode, because mm. it all just meshes. Yeah. So we should just watch it again. <laughs> episode 2 was Home. IMDb gave it a 9.5. I gave it a 9. I gave it a 9.2. Also directed by Jeremy Podeswa, and my own the throne that week was Tyrion. Episode 3 was Oathbreaker. IMDb gave it an 8.7. I gave it a 6.5. I went with 7.5. I think I was still on a high. Still, that was a pretty our first dip down mm -hmm. for episode 3. That was directed by Daniel Sackheim, and my own the throne that week was Howlin' Reed. 
I say here, my notes for that was not as exciting as the last two episodes, but still packed with information and content. <laughs> yeah, then episode four was Book of the Stranger. IMDb gave it a 9.2. I gave it an 8.5. I was lower than you for one, so I gave it eight. Again, that was Daniel Sackheim. And my own the throne was Danny. I did Daenerys as well, and I said, Littlefinger again, Ramsay gets the badass bully award. <laughs> yeah, I like that we started including our villains in that as well. Episode 5 was The Door. There was a huge bump back up here. IMDb 9.7. I was a 9. I was a 9. And this was Jack Bender directing. I gave the On the Throne to Kinvara, the Red Priestess. I did not write mine down. <laughs> Episode 6, Blood of My Blood. IMDb 7.9. My Raven rating, 8.5. I went 7.5. And I had Benjen, Whitey-ish, Stark, or the High Sparrow. Yeah, I also had Benjen that week. So we're starting to fall again. Episode 7, The Broken Man, IMDb 7.8. I was an 8. I gave it a 7.6. And these next two were directed by Mark Millad. Interesting, they were also written by Brian Cogman. These were the only two episodes that weren't Benioff and Weiss. My Own the Throne was Lady Leanna Mormont. That was for seven? Yes. I said Blackfish. His wit, his badassery, his honor. As long as I'm standing, the war's not over. Yeah, I was really happy you named Blackfish. Episode eight, No One. Seems like it was everyone's least favorite. IMDb gave it a 7. My Raven rating was 6. I went 5.5. Was never bored, but some of the storylines fell short for me. Yeah, I think that was the ultimate low, primarily due to Arya's storyline. And I gave On the Throne to Thoros. The Hound! <laughs> Episode 9, Battle of the Bastards. Huge bump back up. IMDb gave it a 10. I gave it a 9.8. I gave it a 9.5 just because... I was afraid to give 10s, because I felt like then I could never go above that. And me know? as well. And Own the Throne, Littlefinger, or Danny? Own the Throne, I had John or Danny. And no surprise, these last two directed by Miguel Sapochnik. Episode 10, Winds of Winter. IMDb a 10 again, the first series to receive two 10s. And back-to-back -back nonetheless. I also gave it a 10. 9.8 for me, and... Own the throne, I said Lady Mormont. Own the moment, Jon Snow. Own the throne. Almost Cersei, but she lost everything she loved for power. Own the throne, I gave to Lyanna Stark. Those were our Raven ratings. I think it was enlightening to look at it episode by episode like that. Yeah. Laid out. We often talk about the flow of the season and with this season in particular being the first one to really diverge from the book with Benioff and Weiss striking out on their own. The first time that book readers were actually spoiled by the show in these major moments and how they handled it. I think overall, they did really well with it. They had difficulty with the pacing. And to be honest, it is very difficult, I could see, to adapt George's books when he gets to this point where two of his huge novels are supposed to follow the same timelines, but with different characters in each. Right. They didn't do everything from those books. They were going back here into previous books to pull content and then fast-forwarding into book six, which isn't even out yet. So I honestly anticipated this would fumble a lot more than it did. I think that while the pacing felt awkward and they had great difficulty with some of the character arcs and minor plot holes, 
taken as a whole, this was an amazing season. One of my favorite. I agree. It was my favorite. And just if you think about it, you you put yourself in their position and you have all these crew members and actors and just the whole shebang going into different locations far away from each other. Mm. Are they even there? Or are they Skyping to see what's going on? You know? Yeah, I don't and then know. The amount of tape for the editing room. How many editors are there? How many hours a day? And the editing was there? superb from scene to scene in every episode. Yeah. Can you imagine their notes for editing? The notes I have after a podcast for my editing. Yeah. <laughs> Is, is, it uh, takes you hours just to do our short little podcast. Yeah. The visuals. Visually stunning. I, you could just tell how much more money they spent, how much time and love, how comfortable they are with the locations, the sets. You feel like you're really walking into these worlds. Everything supernatural or magic looked incredible this season. They had a way with their visuals to encapsulate the grandness of where they were. Yes. You felt how large the fields were or how lar- large the castles were or how small the dungeons were. You know, and that's not easily done. And, you know, it's so funny because we're gearing up for Mr. Robot and Mr. Robot's visuals are amazing, but it's amazing for a different reason. It's more, it's a little more artsy mm. and they have a way of making you feel claustrophobic yeah. so that you can feel the tension in the room or the tension inside our main actor's head. Yeah, whereas this felt expansive. Mm-hmm. There was so much world that you were seeing and yet you knew there's so much more of it that you haven't seen. And even this late in the game, season six, being introduced to new locations, big ones, incredible ones, meeting new characters, bringing characters back from previous seasons. I, So many things were so wonderful about it. I, I think... In hindsight, my two biggest critiques were the character arcs and development or lack of development with Arya and Sansa. Yeah. And that surprises me because both Martin with his books Mm -hmm. and Benioff and Weiss with their show do an amazing job portraying female characters, especially those in power, those with strength, overcoming obstacles and finally coming into their own. Mm -hmm. Look what they've done with Danny even with Cersei on the opposite end of that. They handled it very beautifully and seamlessly where we can look at bad deeds that they're doing and still root for them. Yeah. Or we can look at good deeds like with Danny and say, but what if she winds up being the bad guy eventually? They have highs and lows. They are relatable. They are gray. I used to feel that way with Arya and I used to get so excited. She was one of my favorite characters to watch every season. I felt like that fell off a cliff Mm -hmm. this year and everyone was really... Fell off a mountain. Yeah. Sorry. Everyone was really into it in episode 10 because of the way it wrapped up and I did love that scene with her, but it didn't feel right to me. It didn't feel like it made all nine episodes before that justified or okay. And perhaps I was more upset with Sansa, and I guess I am really in the minority here because most of the viewers love Sansa. seem to love her, seem to have thought that she finally found herself in this season mm-hmm. and developed and had this brilliant character arc. And I did not feel that way. Didn't see a lot of growth with her, and perhaps I'm biased because I'm thinking of what we saw with book Sansa, but I don't know. Even in the TV show, I feel something is still lacking there. 
I'm going to say yes to everything you just said because all I would do is just reiterate what you said. Mm. And I know I've said it probably too many times this season about Arya, so I don't want to sound like a complaining... Yeah, I don't think we need to dive <laughs> deep into that. But just looking at things in oh, yeah. the broad strokes now that we're at the end of the season and yes. does my opinion change on it now that it's over, I, I still kind of feel the same way about all of that. But on the whole, I feel okay with it. I like the way... It doesn't ruin the story. Right, that we ended up. And and I still liked her killing Frey. Oh, yeah. So it was fine. There was enough of a payoff. I just wish I had a different kind of payoff with Jockin, at least. Well, and let's face it. Every season, the expectations rise higher for this show. The better Benioff and Weiss do, the more we want to see out of them next time. Yeah. They had more money more knowledge, more freedom with this season, and they delivered in many ways, but we keep holding them up to that bar. <laughs> it's going to be damn near impossible in 7 and 8 for them to live up, but I think they'll do, they'll do a it. really good job. Uh, you said pre uh, a little earlier, talking about how they're still introducing new characters. Yeah. I think it's, it, it's really telling that they're introducing these new characters and we're still interested in these people. Do you ever get fatigued in a movie where there's just too many characters and you just your brain just shuts off not ca can't care about anymore yeah we i never feel that fatigue here yeah and you're talking about movies that have a lot less total characters mm -hmm. even that i felt that way about this has more characters than i would have ever thought i could keep straight in my head seriously i don't know how you keep them straight i never know the names of anyone I have to make notes, and oftentimes I say, what is his name, or what's her name? <laughs> and by the way, you're still talking about way less than half of the amount that are in the books. Yes. And if I read the books, I probably would have fatigued, at it, <laughs> fatigued out and then just said, forget it, I can't remember any of these people. I think you learn when there are certain characters you can sort of drop in your mind, mm -hmm. and they're just important to that one plot line. You don't really need to store them in the long-term memory bank. Okay. And they do that a little bit in the show as well. Well, talking about season six, let's briefly go through our important moments. I don't want this to be a full run through like when we do our crow's eye view because you've watched the season, you know what happened. But just bullet points and we're going to think about this in the way that it matters to next season. And with our bonus episode two, we will get more into our theories and predictions for future seasons. For now, let's start at the north. Sansa and Theon escaped Ramsay at Winterfell. Sansa, Davos, Melisandre come to the Wall, and Jon is resurrected. Ramsay kills his father, Roose, and incites Jon with the pink letter. Jon tries to rally the northern houses, but gains only a few and goes to battle with Ramsay anyway. Littlefinger takes the veil, offers help to Sansa, and comes in to quote-unquote save the day with the Battle of the Bastards. Sansa lies to Jon about some of this. They have a shaky amends, and Sansa rebuffs Littlefinger, although he still has plans. Davos finds out about Shireen, at which point Jon banishes Melisandre, and little lady Lyanna Mormont shames the men, and Jon becomes king in the north. That was some of the biggest action, believe it or not, of any of our locations. I was happy to see the north finally develop. I have been such a huge Jon Snow fan this entire time, but I've talked to a lot of people who haven't read the books and they haven't felt strongly about John until the end of last season and into this, where they finally see him becoming a character they can get behind and somebody they love and root for. 
So I'm happy to see that. Down to the Riverlands, where the phrase lose River Run to the Blackfish. Jamie comes to take it back and deals with Edmure. He meets with Brienne, and we see some questionable honor. He then takes the castle without blood, where the Blackfish is killed off screen. Elsewhere, the Hound returns and joins the Brotherhood. Question? They're all headed north. In brief news far in the south, Sam meets his father. We see his family. He steals the sword Heartsbane and arrives in Old Town where he sees the Citadel for the first time. Citadel. And we get our view of the Astrolabe. I love the connections there to the we opening title. We finally get title. to see, yeah, what that opening title sequence with the logo actually is. I thought it was just a cool graphic. I have to think that might still continue to play a part, and I can't wait to see what's going to happen in the Citadel and what Sam finds. I want to talk about that in our theories next episode. Over to the Iron Islands, we meet Euron for the first time when he murders Balon and wins the King's Moot. But Theon and Yara steal some of the Iron Fleet and go over to Marine, where Yara proposes a union with Danny. Speaking of Marine. Danny's fleet is burned early on, and she's taken to the Dosh Kaleen. At the same time, Tyrion tries to run the city with Varys in her absence. Jorah reveals both his grayscale and his love for Danny. Finally. Danny escapes the city by emerging from a burned building, gaining the Dothraki, bonding and somewhat taming her dragon, and returns to Marine to save the city in epic fashion. Danny leaves Dario behind at the end, and she names Tyrion Hand of the Queen. The army takes to the sea. Danny is the Game of Thrones Hulk. Instead of getting huge and green, when she says, you don't want to see me angry, she's, she just burns everything and then walks slowly out of the fire. And naked. then renames whole oceans like the Bay of Dragons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be tough to beat her in who owns the throne this season when we get to that. Over in Dorne, an area that was just completely rushed through yet again, Prince Doran is killed along with Ario Hota, and later on the Dornish team up with Lady Oletta and join Danny. In big news, beyond the wall, Bran receives important visions from the Raven. He learns of the origin story of the White Walkers, but he makes a mistake. When he goes and he sees the White Walkers, he is marked by one of them, whereby they are able to enter the tree, the Raven, Hodor, and it seems the last of the children are killed. Bran escapes and meets up with Uncle Benjen. He doesn't really teach him that much, but he leaves him outside of the wall where he has the Tower of Joy Vision and learns about John's parents. Okay, now about Bran. Yeah. Two things. One, whenever you mention Bran, I get a sick feeling in my stomach, and that's because I know that... I think I know at least, that when he goes through the wall, he is going to break that magic. And that's going to propel the situations of winter coming. It seems like such a foregone conclusion, right? I just can't see that going any other way. I mean, Bran's not just going to stay here and chill north of the wall. No. Now, I'm thinking... We talked about this with Bran being marked as though when he came through the wall, the magic was broken. We almost kind of thought of it like the wall coming down. Could the magic be broken, but the wall still stands? So there's no spells on it, but they still have to get through a physically very high building that's hard to get through, much the way the wildlings were trying to get through. 
Yes, but do you remember when John went with the wildlings further north? Mm-hmm. And then they got attacked by the white yeah. walkers. Did you remember how they climb? They climb like, you know, like uh, agile monkeys up. Well, like, yeah, with and no they can just issues. create a, a body tower. I mean, not even that. They can just they just climb. Yeah, well, that's ice, though. I mean, even even dead zombies have aren't going to be able to get purchase on ice, but they could create just a wall of bodies by stacking themselves up. Oh yes, as high as they can go. I mean, there seems to be a ton of undead. But what I'm thinking is, if it's just them able to pass, but they still need to find a way to get over. Maybe this takes a little more time. The Night's Watch sees this happening. John is able to get back. They start garrisoning more. Is that a word? Garrisoning? <laughs> uh, more of now. the castles along the wall so mm -hmm. they can begin this epic battle, which I think is going to last for a very long time in our next season. So that's my first thing with Bran. And my second thing is, I really feel like they could have made his storyline so much more interesting. They could have showed us more time with him and his flashbacks. I mean, that alone, that magic is beautiful. They could have so many storylines that we could see. Jon Snow, young, like uh, just everything. Yeah. Uh, we could see again. This would be a perfect time to reintroduce all of our wolves and yeah. see like again them picking up the wolves and why they got the wolves. And then times they had with the wolves where it like protected them from something, mm -hmm. you know, when they were growing up. That's just a perfect moment to, to just get a little bit more magic in there. Yeah, I wish more dire wolves had survived up until this point. Mm -hmm. And it was more like the books where they were warging into them or having visions of them. So Bran could be viewing the connections between each Stark child and each wolf. And this is how he would know that his brothers and sisters are still alive and what's happening between them and their wolves. Um, I hated, probably most of all, in all of Game of Thrones, my biggest disappointment has been the dropping off of that huge connection that they had. And perhaps that means that it's not going to have great meaning at the end of the book series. But even if it doesn't, I don't think you can just say, because this doesn't equal endgame stuff, it means that everything before that was not important. Right. Because I think it was. I think it was really important to the Stark children to see that. It was like Danny's bond with her dragons. Mm -hmm. Even if they die tomorrow and they don't have any place in the war against the White Walkers, that had a huge part in her character development. They better not die. I would have liked, I think a lot of people said they wouldn't enjoy this, but I really would have enjoyed if Bran had a vision montage. I thought that those those downloads he was getting from the three-eyed raven before he died when he finally got to a place where he had a second to breathe like now at the heart tree we would get some really quick scrolling through of those important moments and not just going back to that tower of joy scene yeah i would have liked that Regardless, the stuff that happened with Bran was really incredible this season. He was completely absent from the season prior, so there was a lot to see. There was a lot happening at that tree. Like you said, visually, there, there was more going on in the books. I mean, Bran was at this tree for a while. You do get to see his journey. It's almost like a huge world inside of this tree underground he explores with Mira and Hodor throughout the caverns and you know deep under the ground he's learning slowly from the raven uh, I think maybe don't have him absent from the entire season before so we can kind of step through that a little bit 
I don't know. Well, they should have bonus content throughout the year. Moving along, a place they handled extremely well, in my opinion, was King's Landing this season. The High Sparrow takes over. Marjorie is scheming. We never fully know what her plan is. Tommen is being brainwashed. Cersei is stripped of her power. Lady Olena leaves the city. And the High Sparrow calls for a trial by seven, doing away with the trial by combat in Cersei's plan. Cersei doesn't show at the trial. Instead, she winds up burning the sept with wildfire and killing many people. Proceeds to crown herself queen, at which point Jamie returns to King's Landing. Returns and it's like, this bitch. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, looking back, I guess, earlier on in the series, there were quite a few episodes where there wasn't a lot of progression at King's Landing. It was a lot of this high sparrow focused stuff with mm -hmm. him giving long speeches it didn't really seem to tie into much marjorie scheming but we never really get to figure out what even in the end so i could see people being a little frustrated with that i was at times i was too i was bored with it hey before you go uh before i forget yeah. i may have said this a few episodes ago in the podcast but just in case i didn't the dude that played the high sparrow mm -hmm. he's the father in uh pirates of the caribbean he is um Kiara Knightley's father. Oh, yes. So he has a wig for most of it when he's governor. And then you see him in other parts with a similar haircut. He was really good. I thought that as an actor, he portrayed this very well. They just didn't give him enough to actually do. Well, our final location we already talked about in Bravos. Arya struggling with her training and the punishment she takes. Learning from the acting troupe. This is the spot where... That didn't wind up really mattering much to the storyline, but I actually liked the diversion, mm -hmm. seeing the play The Bloody Hand. I didn't mind that at all. Uh, I did mind not giving the time to Arya's actual training and what she learns, but if we're not going to do that either way, this was something kind of cool to throw in there. Yeah, and also this whole acting thing, it kind of gave us a view of how other people are seeing and remembering the history of the Game of Thrones or the history of Westeros. Because their news, basically, is these people acting it out. Is this, And they yeah. were wrong. I mean, there was some hyperbole in there. Yeah. And propaganda. And that's the truth that they know. So you can see, like, they don't really know how much of a bitch Cersei is. <laughs> or, you know, how... Even Joffrey. How many wrongs they've done. Yeah, right? or Joffrey. Was portrayed as innocent in this equation, yeah. pretty much. It's just weird. It's, um, or it's cool. It's a good twist. Gives us a view of what the common folk think. I really like that, especially because we haven't hardly spent any time with the common folk in any of the locations. And they were talked about often in the books in King's Landing, the peasants that we see in the Riverlands, what was happening to their lives mm -hmm. as a result of all of these wars and Game of Thrones that people were playing, them just being pulled away from their families to fight these wars that they don't care about their towns being burned and pillaged, their women being raped, their harvests being destroyed. I mean, there's, there's just nothing they could do about it. Every time they turned around, somebody else was going to war for something else. Yeah. <laughs> so I like that we get a shot of that and finding out how they feel. Isn't it funny how, just like Washington, D.C. in America, King's Landing, you know, it's where the king is, and it's a rich castle, and mm. then they have, like, some of the poorest of the poor. Right around, around there. there. Yeah. Just like D.C. It's crazy. 
Hey, I have a fun fact that means absolutely nothing. Okay. Season four, episode four, was called Oathkeeper. Yeah. Season six, episode three, was called Oathbreaker. I was just going through the, the season titles, and I was like, oh, shit. And I, that's what I, I mean. I I, well, else. it does mean something, because I really like the parallels it's bringing up, where the episode Oathkeeper goes into Jamie and Brienne finally really bonding. I'm not sure if it's there where he tells her the true story about what happened at King's Landing, but that does happen, and somewhere along the way, they make this pact together to do something good, to swear to something that's bigger than them, that they are going to get these Stark children back to Catelyn, that it doesn't matter which side that they're on. This is um, an oath that they're making on their honor Mm -hmm. as knights and as people that are sworn to protect others. And he gives Brienne the sword, Oath Keeper, to do that very purpose. So now when you come all the way back around, Brienne has done her very best at upholding that with both Arya and Sansa. But she feels she's failed and she tries to give back the sword. But Jaime doesn't keep it because he feels he's failed even worse. And she really is the true knight, the one who deserves to keep going with this mission. And she should keep it. I wonder if it's a reflection on his feelings or what's going to happen between them. Um, he did take the castle somewhat bloodlessly, but he doesn't feel good about it. No. You can see that when he gets to the twins to meet with Walder. And now all the more what he's encountering in King's Landing with Cersei, I think he's the character I am most interested, actually, to find out what happens to in Season 7. I'm most attached mm-hmm. to his story arc and how much he's been through. I want to see him become a good person. Right. You're most interested in his redemption. You want to like him. Yeah. There's something about him you want to like. I want to see him swear off Cersei, go back to Brienne, and be the knight he always wanted to be. Yeah. I agree. I think it's in him somewhere. I don't know that that will ever happen in George's kind of story, Mm -hmm. but you can clearly see that tiding somewhere deep down. And I'm glad that we brought that up because I can't wait to talk about it in our dream section, which we are coming up to very soon. Here's the part where I tell you we're done discussing the TV stuff. We talked a lot about that all season long. I want to get into some of the things we didn't talk about. Here's your spoiler warning. We're going to bring up first three major book differences. People or plot lines that have not made it into the show. It's either for sure or pretty close to for sure that they will not be coming into the show. I have saved this for a long time just in case. Benioff and Weiss bring them in late or they work them in somewhere else. Most of the other podcasts I've listened to have already talked about these things. I feel it's time for us to do it now. You ready to be spoiled, Jason? I'm ready. Spoil me. Number one, the very biggest, Lady Stoneheart sure most listeners out there have heard about this it's a character that unfortunately we do not get to see on tv any ideas before i give it away who this would be let me give you a description death has changed this character less gracious and forgiving than in life consumed with a desire for personal vengeance this character hangs men in the riverlands her appearance Her flesh is becoming soft, the color of curdled milk. Half her hair is gone, the rest is white and brittle. She has wounds that have not healed, including a huge slit across her throat. Oh boy. I feel like I should know, but I'm not coming up with anything. You should know. She was a major character that was killed in a major episode 
by her throat being split. <laughs> At the red wedding. Uh, the red, okay. So Stark, the mom. Yeah. Oh shit, that would be awesome. Catelyn. You know, if this is true, listeners going to hate you if this does happen. <laughs> well, I've waited. Listen, the reason I bring this up now, people have been talking about it all season, and I, I said, I can't believe they're bringing this up. It could still happen. They're in the Riverlands now. It's the perfect opportunity because the way it happens in the books, only a few days after the Red Wedding, uh, the phrase of throwing her body into the river, it's decomposing, but the Brotherhood Without Banners come upon her. And you know, Thoros has brought Beric back to life many yeah. times with his red magic. He knows that Beric doesn't have much left in him. We even see on TV him telling Beric, I don't know how many times I can keep bringing you back. So Beric kind of figures that. And when they find her, you know, their true loyalty was to King Rob and to Ned. Mm -hmm. And so they feel like they have to try. And Beric tells Thoros, use whatever is left in my life force to give to her. And that's how they do it. So she can't come completely back, A, because she's been decomposing, and B, because maybe Beric just didn't have enough left in him. This kind of magic has never been done before, but she is reanimated. She looks pretty gross. It's like <laughs> the mountain where she's half dead and she's got these wounds. She can't really talk. She has to hold her throat closed. And she's just like this rasping guttural sound, but Thoros can kind of understand her. So, you know, Beric obviously dies. He doesn't come back now. And, but she's leading the Brotherhood, and they turn super dark. They are totally out for vengeance. They start by hanging every fray they can find. And then they start just hanging people even remotely associated with their enemies. The Lannisters, men they pass by, you know, on the road. They almost hang Brienne. Because when Catelyn encounters her... She says, you swore to bring my children back. And Brienne's trying to tell her, I tried to do this. But then she sees that she's holding a Lannister sword. Oh. And she's like, you bitch. You went over <laughs> to Lannister's side. And she's trying to tell her, no, you don't understand. Jamie really is good. And Catelyn's like, Jamie Lannister is good. F that. We're hanging you. Wow. Um, it doesn't wind up happening, but only because she makes her swear to go find and kill Jamie. So really intense. Now, when they got over to the Riverlands and the Brotherhood Without Banners, remember when we saw that group that went a little rogue? Yeah. And hung... You thought it was them? Yeah. I saw you were holding something They back. set up beautifully for her to come. And given the fact that she didn't show up there, I now believe she is not coming in TV at all. I don't think there's room for They missed for that. the boat. And it's yeah. so far past the Red Wedding. They would have had to brought her back and just nobody knows about it. Right. And now that we've seen the Brotherhood again, no. I don't know, though. It could uh, maybe they're they're at a fire with the hound. They're talking, and um, the hound's like, "They're like, you should fight with us." And the hound's like, "I don't have, a, I don't want to be. That's not my fight." And then she comes out. And that's why they're going north. I don't know. Take just... her back to Winterfell where she belongs. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> well, yeah, we were all hanging on to the slightest hope that could be left, but like the Clegane Bowl, you have to abandon it at some point, and that's why I'm talking about it here. I think it's done. The other two definitely will not be happening. Well, actually, the second one could be elaborated on more. The third will not be. The second one was about Sam visiting Old Town. So we do see that in the TV show. We're just getting there now. Who knows how much we could get into, but I, I feel like we won't be as in-depth with the books where you get this beautiful view of the city where there's towers and domes connected by arching stone bridges. Houses and stalls sit on top of the bridges. The gates are flanked by a pair of tall green sphinxes. 
it's all cobblestone streets. Everything is old but beautiful, kind of the way parts of Italy are. Okay. I picture a Rome or a Venice type of location. They get into so much cool stuff. Like the maesters there at one point actually knew sorts of magic. There was a link in their chain. You know that chain of many metals that we see the maesters wearing? Yeah. Uh, each metal, it's a different kind of metal, and it represents a different area of study that a maesters had to do. So one of those links used to be, I think it was actually Valyrian steel, and it stood for the old magic. And they had to try to light these glass candles as part of the last thing in their maester training. They were put into a room for, I don't know, a whole day and a whole night, something like that. And we're set to this impossible task of lighting a glass candle, which couldn't be done. And, you know, if you had this old magic, you would be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And obviously nobody could really do it. Their new age point was to show them no matter how much they've learned, there are certain things they still can't do. You know, they aren't gods. They aren't sorcerers. But once upon a time, this magic was there. And they went a little deep into that in the books. I thought it could be something super cool that Sam discovers. Uh, some secrets of the world that we've forgotten about that could help us, perhaps. Who knows? Maybe you still will find some of those things. So you're saying they had uh, Pandora, instead of bracelets, they had necklaces. And like some of them had like a little soccer ball. <laughs> one was Charm like, I bracelet. like to read and had a little book. It's funny. They, they didn't highlight this uh, earlier on in the season. I, I don't really even remember ever so much seeing the Maester's Chains. But we talked about in episode 10 of this past season... We saw many chains, a lot of the important characters, like when Cersei was getting dressed and that chain was being drawn Mm -hmm. shoulder to shoulder. Tommen put on a new chain when he was dressing himself before he died. They really highlighted when Grandmaster Pycelle got dressed for the last time, that huge, heavy, clunking chain he was wearing was the Maester's chain. And I don't remember so much ever seeing that on him before. Uh, So, Well, wait, you forgot last episode. You were pissed that you forgot. What about the chains at uh, Old Town on the books? On the books. Yeah. Yeah, those weren't Maester's chains. Some people misinterpreted, thought that they were. But just the fact that there were so many of them. Mm -hmm. uh, Later on in the episode, I I feel like they were really putting the exclamation point on it. In case you missed it, you're supposed to be seeing all of these chains. And, you know, what does that represent? Is this Westeros a kingdom stuck in chains? Danny is oh, wow. the ultimate chain breaker. She's the only one, maybe largely in power, that's not wearing anything like that. And she is just now coming over to Westeros to free all of these quote-unquote slaves. I mean, this is her mission. I like that. Could it also mean that knowledge is chained up? Like the ma- So the mass forces or the, mass, the people, the mass, aren't supposed to have all this knowledge. So it's all chained up in one building. Mm. And not a lot of people can read. And even if you can read, you have to be very special. You can't have a family. You can't this. And you have to demote your life to this if you want the knowledge that are chained up. Power in and of itself. It's almost its own magic. But it's a burden. Maybe that's what these huge chains they wear symbolize. It puts the burden on the masters. Boom. To be the ones that know all of this. Boom. Right down to so detailed that he's keeping this huge book of who is important everywhere in the Seven Kingdoms. 
what do you mean Jorah Mormont's not the Lord Commander of the oh, Night's right. Watch anymore? What do you mean Maester Eamon's not there? A little weird that he didn't know that already, given all the ravens that are sent back and forth and important information like that. But there's a lot going on at the Wall right now. Uh, I mean, he's got to keep track of all seven kingdoms. Uh, but, yeah, I think we're going to find out some really cool stuff there. I'm very excited. Okay, so the last book difference, the one you definitely will not get because we have left Marine now. The Pale Mare. This is a Danny storyline, yet another thing she had to face in dealing with Marine. She was already struggling, getting the Sons of the Harpy under control, trying to figure out how to keep the city in check. When along comes the Pale Mare, commonly known as the Bloody Flux, a name they gave back then to dysentery. The disease where symptoms are fever, intestinal hemorrhages, and diarrhea. A well-known disease with little treatment beyond prevention back in the day. I mean, quarantine, basically. Had a very high mortality rate, killing three out of four people. It was, quote, the bane of every army since the dawn age. The bloody flux has been known to destroy whole armies when left to spread unchecked, according to Sir Barristan. So in A Dance with Dragons, it spread like wildfire through Astapor, and the refugees fleeing it brought it to Marine, where Danny then had to deal with it, and essentially did not really know what to do, so closed the gates, the walls, to all those people, and all the sick people were left outside of the gates of Marine, just bleeding out and dying. Oh, wow. And Tyrion was right in the middle of all this. He had not met Danny yet. He had not been granted access inside of the city to see her. He was trying to join up with Second Sons, funny enough, Dario's group, mm -hmm. uh, in order to get in there. He had to uh, essentially sell his soul. He promised basically all the gold and Casterly Rock, since he didn't have anything on him at the time. He was a nobody dwarf, but when they found out who he was, he said, listen, my brother's in the King's Guard. He gave up his rights to Casterly Rock. My sister's not going to get it, so this will all be mine, and I promise you basically everything I've got. Just let me join up with you. Wow. And that's how he wound up getting into the city, but um, another huge plot thing about Marine that we didn't get to see. All right, let's travel over to another slightly spoiler section, Prophecies, Visions, and Dreams. Before we get into the new ones that we haven't talked about here yet, I want to go back to three of Danny's visions that we discussed previously. We talked about this on an earlier, I think last year's podcast. Some of the visions that she got when she was in the House of the Undying trying to rescue her dragons, and some of the wording from the books. One, a blue flower growing from a chink in a wall of ice, filling the air with sweetness. We talked about perhaps that being Jon Snow. Something to keep in mind. Number two, a corpse standing at the prow of a ship with bright eyes and gray smiling lips. We had initially predicted that could be White Walkers mm -hmm. because of the blue eyes and the pale skin, but why would they be on a ship? But it is a corpse, so it kind of made sense. Could this somehow tie into Euron Greyjoy? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I have no idea what that one means yet, but it's got to come into play because we know it hasn't happened yet. And the last one... Definitely hasn't happened. A great stone beast takes wing from a smoking tower, breathing shadows. When I brought this up last season, you said 
A great stone beast. Could that have something to do with grayscale? Then you said, oh my goodness, is that Jorah fully turned into, you know, grayscale's taken over and he's almost like a stone man now because that's what they call him? And I was like, wow, taking wing from his smoking tower? And you said, yeah, he could be flying a dragon, one of Danny's dragons that's <laughs> breathing fire. I was like, oh my goodness, that would be amazing. It seems unlikely now that we've left Jorah and Marine, but maybe he does find the cure and meets back up with Danny. But he's already kind of, before he got the cure, mm -hmm. the grayscale spread pretty far. So he looks, you know, Shireen like with that stoniness. Yeah. Uh, be pretty cool. But that, but that could have also meant just uh, the dragon scene that we were, we've already seen now. Why is that a stone beast? A great stone beast takes wing. Oh, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> All right, so into other dreams and visions. Something that Thoros said in the books about the great sword Lightbringer. Quote, according to prophecy, our champion will be reborn to wake dragons from stone and reforge the great sword Lightbringer that defeated the darkness thousands of years ago. If the old tales are true, a terrible weapon, forged with a loving wife's heart. Part of me thinks man was well rid of it, but great power requires great sacrifice. That much at least the Lord of Light is clear on. This intrigued me going back to it now, because we know that Azor High is supposed to be the prince that was promised that many people now believe will be John, and according to prophecy, this prince is supposed to carry a sword named Lightbringer. Now, John does have this incredible sword with him that Jorah Mormont gave to him, but it doesn't have its own light and its own heat like legend says it will. Azor High's sword did not at first either. He had to do some pretty terrible things, like kill his own wife with it to, to forge it in her blood before it became this amazing sword. Right. So might he have to make some incredible sacrifice in order to turn his sword into the new Lightbringer? Or might he find one somewhere or something cool happen? Because I feel like they've been foreshadowing John going down into the crypts of Winterfell sometime soon, mm -hmm. and finding something down there. If you remember back in the day, Bran and Rickon had dreams about the crypts. They even foresaw Ned's death or saw it that it was happening at that time. They said they had nightmares, they told old Nan, and that their dad was down in the crypts. And they were like, what are you talking about? Your dad's in King's Landing? And they're like, no, he's dead. He's in the crypts. And sure enough, a raven comes the next day, and they find out he was murdered in wow. King's Landing. So something cool and prophetic is happening with that. That's where we find out about Lyanna and sort of a little bit about John's parentage, but we didn't know it at the time when That's Littlefinger right. was talking to Sansa. Yes. All right, and the that. icing on the cake, one of Jon Snow's dreams from the books. Uh, you know, all the children had somewhat prophetic dreams or wolf dreams. Uh, so Jon Snow's was... He's relating this to somebody, I forget who. The castle is always empty. Even the ravens are gone from the rookery and the stables are full of bones in this dream. That always scares me. I start to run, throwing doors open, climbing the tower three steps at a time, screaming for someone, anyone. Then I find myself in front of the door to the crypts. It's black inside and I can see the steps spiraling down. Somehow I know I have to go down there, but I don't want to. I'm afraid of what might be waiting for me. The old kings of winter are down there, sitting on their thrones, with stone wolves at their feet and iron swords across their laps. But it's not them I'm afraid of. I scream that I'm not a Stark. This isn't my place, but it's no good. I have to go down anyway. 
So I start down, feeling the walls as I descend with no torch to light the way. It gets darker and darker until I want to scream. Woo. Now, I know a lot of fans and podcasters have been criticized recently because they've been taking all these things from the book that have great meaning as metaphor and trying to make them something that's actually going to happen on TV. Right. People are saying now it loses its whole meaning. So everything that Sansa has been through, they think when she was talking about her rape on TV, Mm -hmm. she was talking about the emotional and psychological scarring. And for people to predict that this means she's actually pregnant diminishes that uh, emotional reasoning behind it. So most of the time reading through this John stuff, I thought it was kind of the same thing where He's having these dreams about going down into the crypts because he feels like a bastard. He's not a true Stark child. He doesn't belong there. Going down to this place where great kings of the north in the past have been buried is scary to him. Maybe. But now that there's so much going on revolving around the actual crypts and thinking back to this, I don't know. I think he could learn something really important down there. Maybe the sword's down there. Maybe the sword's down there. Oh, shit. I don't know. I'm just saying. Well, we'll find the, out. The main Starks were the buried crypts. with their swords down there. <clears throat> okay, two more dreams for you. Let's get off of the Starks. We're going to go over to the Lannisters. First, Tyrion's dream. That night, Tyrion Lannister dreamed of a battle that turned the hills of Westeros as red as blood. He was in the midst of it all, dealing death with an axe as big as he was fighting side by side with Barristan the Bold as dragons wheeled across the sky above them. In the dream, he had two heads. His father led the enemy, so he slew him once again. Then he killed his brother Jamie, hacking at his face until it was a red ruin, laughing every time he struck a blow. Only when the fight was finished did he realize his second head was weeping. Who is that, Tyrion? Yeah, dreaming about killing Jamie. Fuck. Now, that could be nothing at all. It could be a bad dream. Right. But why would George put this stuff in there? Well, I was going to say when we were talking about Jamie that I feel like next season Jamie will die. Mm. Uh, I don't see his path crossing with Tyrion anytime soon, though. Well, if, like we said, Danny comes straight to King's Landing mm. to try to take over by force... Cersei's on the Iron Throne, and Jamie hasn't just walked out. He's disgusted, but he doesn't leave yet. Right. And here comes this mounted army of, like, a million men, dragons, unsullied. What is he going to do? Just leave her there? So maybe he stays reluctantly, and before the battle ensues, they try to have a little parlay. Danny's going to send Tyrion. Tyrion and Jamie meet up to talk, and maybe it doesn't go so well. Hello, brother. He's like, what are you doing not fighting for the Lannister side? You're on the traitor Targaryen side? I let you go from the dungeon, and the first thing you do is kill our father. Yep. And now you do this? You leave our family in their hour of need. You go over to the Targaryens, you come back with dragons to burn King's Landing? Ooh, I don't know how it's going to go over so well. Well, your sister burned all of King's Landing already, so... Very true. (laughs) But, uh... Yeah, Uh, I think it's going to be Lannister Showdown. So let's go over to Jamie's dream. I think maybe the most important and the hardest to figure out. On his way back from Harrenhal, 
you know, after he lost his hand and he's being brought back and he's really having a difficult time. He falls asleep on a weirwood stump. This seems to be where a lot of prophetic dreams happen because now that we know what we know about weirwoods and the power that they hold right. and the fact that they see all of history and that stays in there somehow. It's a euphemism for mushrooms. I think even more powerful <laughs> than that because some of this shit is real. So I think anytime you see a dream happening revolving around a weirwood, you have to take it into consideration. Now, he was also very sick and feverish and whatnot, and this dream doesn't make a lot of sense, but here we go. He dreams that he is in the deepness of Casterly Rock, and he is whole again, despite being naked and alone. A dozen tall figures in cowled robes who are hiding their faces hold spears and refuse to answer when Jamie demands to know who they are. He's not alone then. Sorry. Well, they just appear out of nowhere. Oh, Things okay. are happening <laughs> weird, like in a dream you'll see. Uh, so instead, they force him to descend down into the deep. Quote, Below the earth, his doom awaited. He knew with the certainty of a dream, something dark and terrible lurked there, something that wanted him. Jamie eventually finds himself in a deep, watery cavern below the castle. This is your place, brother. This is your darkness, the voice of all the Lannisters say to him. Don't leave me here in the dark. Give me a sword at least, Jamie says. I gave you a sword, Lord Tywin says, out of nowhere. And it was at his feet. Jamie groped under the water until his hand closed upon the hilt. Nothing can hurt me so long as I have a sword, he thought. As he raised the sword, a finger of pale flame flickered at the point and crept along the edge of the blade, stopping a hand's breadth from the hilt. The fire took on the color of the steel itself. It burned with a silvery blue light, and the gloom pulled back for a moment. It lightened. Suddenly, Brienne appeared from the darkness, her hands bound in chains and also naked, asking Jamie to undo the chains from her wrists. When he did, both Brienne's sword and Jamie's hands were lit aflame. The flames will burn so long as you live, he heard Cersei say. When they die, so must you. Jamie and Brienne were pondering what they should do when shadows began to appear again in the darkness. Brienne repeated a few times how she swore to keep Jamie safe. A shadow says to them they all swore an oath and blames Jamie for the death of the king, Elia, her children, and many more. And that is when the fire of Jamie's sword started to go out. <laughs> it's like a dream. I mean, it's wibbly wobbly and all over the place Tiny and wimey. people appearing, but he's somewhere down deep in Casterly Rock. He's grappling with guilt of what he's done in the past. He's whole again, his lifelong dream, and he's holding a flame that sounds a little bit like Lightbringer. It's lit on fire, it pushes the darkness in the cavern away. Um, he's talking to Jamie, uh, to Brienne, about this oath that they swore. I mean, and then this weird line, the flames will burn so long as you live, when they die, so much do you. That's his horcrux. So, I don't know, maybe Jamie makes it farther than we thought. Could Jamie become our hero? You know, if he did, I wouldn't be upset with that because we've wanted him. We, and we've said this time and time again. We want him to be the good guy. And then that tent scene mm -hmm. uh, with... Danny. No, the, uh, the tent scene with uh, the guy who is his capture when he's trying to get the castle back. Oh, with Edmure. That's kind of a foreshadowing. 
Yeah, you know, thinking about all the ways that could, this could go with John and Danny and just thinking to myself, like, it all, no matter which way you look at it, still ends, like, kind of cliche. And, yeah, you have to get to that point at some at some point in the story. You can't just have everyone die. I know everyone's looking for... I don't want them to die. Martin subverts your expectations and he does things differently, but, like, what do you... Do you want every single person to die? How is that cool or no. interesting? So, I feel like maybe the hero does come, but it's not who you expect. Maybe some of the characters you've grown to love, like John, do wind up dying. No. Which I... Yeah, God help me. I mean, I'm the last person. I don't want John to die at all. But maybe someone like Jamie has this real turnaround and finally becomes a hero. And I could see that. It's something different. Uh, I could still be happy if it's done the right way. Maybe he has to kill Cersei the way he had to kill Mad King Ares. Remember, he stabbed him in the back with his sword. So does he use his sword to kill Cersei, his sister, his love... Much like Azora High had to oh, kill his shit. wife, and now his sword becomes Lightbringer. I like that. Everyone, mark this in your calendar so that when she's right, we can come back and say uh, CKC got it right. So we're talking about all these crazy, far-fetched theories, but I haven't heard anybody say that about Jamie, and I, I, I just think it's worth putting out there. I think it's worth putting out there and remembering, because I'll forget. That, that might work. I still think there's something deeper with Jon Snow. If you yes. remember when Jon was fighting the White Walkers and the, the King White... What's his name? The White King? The Night King. Night King. The way he looked at him was like, oh, shit. Yeah. I, know what you're, I know what you're meant to do. Like, you know, it was almost kind come, of respect, but like... Come at me, crow, yeah. as everyone says. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's something more with that. I, this, I don't want any dragons to die. I don't want ghosts to die. Oh, God, me either. But I want I feel Danny like to be naked and alive forever. <laughs> Tyrion must live. Jon Snow must live. His sister can die. Fuck her. Um, Arya, I love her, but we, st we have her in uh, Doctor Who, so she lives on. Um, so she can die there. Tata can go. I'm Jamie, sorry. Yeah. I want Jamie to live, and I want Brienne to live. And Tyrion. I want the Hound to live and Tyrion. Yeah. And then I'm, everyone else can die. It's all good. <laughs> well, you were still asking for a lot, but I feel the exact same way. And I think there are still ways that are, some of our heroes can win and prevail in certain ways, if not every way, but it could still be new and interesting. And um, I just like, even if it's crazy, thinking about the ways it could go. Uh, you don't see that coming, so that might be right. What you just said, like, that's like, holy shit. Well, everybody's seeing Jamie's story as beginning and ending revolving around Cersei. And what's going to happen? Was she going to kill him? Is Tyrion going to kill him? And we did just bring that up a second ago. But um, we've always said there are two Jamies. There is the one who's bad, and it's only because of the poison and the spell that Cersei has over him. Mm -hmm. And if he's finally broken of that spell now where he sees what she's doing, and he's forced to take things into his own hands and save the city the way he did with the Mad King and kill her, Jamie's still alive. And yep. the Cersei Lannister story ends, so where does he go? What does he do? You know, he, now he hopefully starts to fight for the good somehow. I want to see that. It's just a very long dream. As much as Martin does go off on these rambling tangents and he plants red herrings, this is a very long, long dream for him to get into. doesn't make a lot of sense, so you could easily overlook it and just get lost and not think another thing about it. But it happens on a werewood, and they're talking about a flaming sword. So 
I don't know. Let's let's keep that in mind. Um, that is everything I have now. There are tons more prophecies, dreams, and visions. However, we have gone over most of them on the Season 5 bonus podcast. So if you'd like to give that a listen, you can catch up on some more of those things if you've missed out on them. Let's go through our last segments for this bonus episode. We're going to start with our last wolf watch. Just a little tidbit, since we're not seeing that much more of the dire wolves recently. Um, they talked about how in the first season they used northern Inuit dogs. They actually used regular dogs, uh, a type specifically bred for their wolf-like appearance to stand in for the dire wolves. However, since dire wolves are known to be much larger, uh, real wolves were digitally composited in for the scenes in season two. This strained the budget and schedule so much, hence why there are only a handful of scenes with the dire wolves after that. Well, how is that harder than dragons? And they have so much money now. Did they just get to a point where they killed them off and they didn't write them into the story for so long that it's hard to bring them back in? Mm, I don't know. Anyway, I would like to hear from you viewers for this last Wolf Watch. What will Ghost's role be in the future for the time we have left for him? We very conspicuously saw Ghost present for John's resurrection scene. Yes. Uh, camera panning in on him. We thought there was more to do with the connection there and what would happen. We've not seen Ghost since then. Uh, we will talk next bonus episode about the plot lines left dangling or the people that we haven't gone back to and what that could mean. But specifically here, how does Ghost come back in and what happens with him? And also, where in the world is Nymeria? Where in the world is Nymeria? Uh, so, you can let us know via our Facebook page. Yep. CKC Coffee Clatch Crew Podcast. Or at CKC Podcast on Twitter. Or email, email. us. Contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com. Yeah, please get in touch so that you can hear your feedback on the mm -hmm. air. Like some of the feedback that we've gotten. Over the past couple of weeks, we have had people write in with Twitter, um, email, iTunes reviews. We're just going to pick a few of the really good ones. One of our listeners, Robert, wrote in with a very clever remark. He says, so who guessed Danny would give Tyrion a handjob? That was funny. <laughs> Thank you, Robert. Appreciate that. <laughs> that really made me laugh. I love the pun. We also got a very interesting remark on Twitter about a theory. Yeah, go for it. Derek says, theory. Is it possible for the drowned god or the giant octopus, he's talking about a kraken here, and Euron to intercept Danny and her fleet on the way to Westeros? Hope not. Hashtag Game of Thrones. Thank you for writing to us on Twitter. Uh, I mean... That would be epic visually, but that would totally, all the momentum <laughs> that Daenerys has would be like, oh, go, go, go. And it's like if they're in the Olympics and they're right at the finish line and they trip and fall. Someone throws a hurdle. And they'd be like, well, what the fuck? Okay, so they don't have to necessarily win, but maybe this is how Euron comes back in. He has, he's got to have something more up his sleeve, right? He went off to build these thousand ships. He's not going to disappear off into nowhere. And if the whole point was ships you have to figure they're going to meet on the water somewhere. Elsewise, why have him talking about that and Danny and her whole fleet? Um, so maybe it's just to throw a little bit of a wrench in. Danny will have to 
Um, dispose of him. That gives us more time to set the pieces up in Westeros okay. for her arrival. But that's counter to what his plan is, which is to be with her and have sex with her. Uh, true. So that doesn't really make a lot of sense. No. There's more going on with him in the books. Perhaps that'll come into play for the show. But thank you for your theory, Derek. I would like to see a giant kraken on Game of Thrones. Yeah, actually. but I'd like to see that kraken on our side. <laughs> Fuck. All right, and lastly, we got a couple new iTunes reviews. We don't have that many yet. Please, if you're listening, you like what you're hearing, or even if you don't, we appreciate all feedback. Um, we would love it if you go on and rate with your stars, but even better if you can write us a review like the one we got from MP Newhouse, which says, My new favorite GOT podcast. Along with Bald Move and Game of Owns, this is one of the best podcasts out there. Great mix of show and book talk, and the two hosts have a really easygoing rapport. Highly recommended. Thank you so much. Wow. Whoever you are, even putting us in the same sentence as Bald Move and Game of Owns is really amazing. So we so appreciate that. Thank you very much for listening. And we hope that you keep listening. In these following weeks, we're going to do a part two with a bunch of our friends and uh, Game of Thronians, and we're going to get really goofy and, and have some fun with Game of Thrones. And then we're going to start doing Mr. Robot. I know I've said this a couple times. I'm going to say it again. If you haven't watched it, it's on USA. Watch season one. Listen to our podcast. Just go back in the timeline. You can see see those there. T- check those out. And uh, July 13th is when season two starts with Mr. Robot. Yep. And that's what we'll be reviewing. We currently only have two channels. It's the Coffee Clatch Crew podcast channel on mm-hmm. iTunes and all the other outlets. ways of listening, outlets. And we also have the Coffee Clatch Crew Game of Thrones episode review. I don't know if we're going to start like making all these other ones for Mr. Robot. We probably should if we want more listeners. It's more designs that I'll do. but Yeah, but for now, in the beginning, we'll probably start off with just that Game of Thrones one and we'll put the... Mr. Robot podcast under that until we can get a new page up. So if you're looking for Mr. Robot, please check out the Game of Thrones or the regular Coffee Clatch crew to hear that. They'll be on both. And as to the Game of Thrones final bonus two episode, we're not sure exactly when that's going to be recorded or released. We will probably already be into the Mr. Robot reviews, but it'll be something fun to look forward to whenever we can get everyone together. We will do some games, like Jason said, a little bit of trivia. We'll talk about our theories and predictions for Season 7. And we will do our Who Owns the Throne for the season. So we'll go around with all of our hosts, but we'd also really love to hear from you. This is a great last opportunity to get involved with the podcast this year uh, for Game of Thrones. So please write in any of the ways we talked about, Twitter, email, and let us know who do you think owned the throne for Season 6. I also want to reiterate that the Coffee Clatch Crew podcast, the main channel, will have everything and always have all of our podcasts. So if you don't want to miss anything. More than even episode reviews, more than Game of Thrones and Mr. Robot, just tons of things on there. If you don't want to miss anything, subscribe to that and you won't, you'll be in the know. I have a couple of uh, goofy questions and ideas for you before we end this. Okay. Walkers with the babies. Okay. You remember when we saw the babies... Uh, you know, the walkers with these babies. Mm. And it's kind of like they put them on a thing and they're surrounded by them. They're doing like a chant. I'm th- assuming they're doing a chant. Yeah, it's like some kind of ritual. Yeah. Uh, almost looks like a religious thing in a way that they're going to turn them into something. 
So what if, and we always said, I've asked you in the past, will those babies, will they become like one of the more dangerous white walkers that walk around? The, right, the, the never born, ones? not just the whites. Right. I want to go one step further. Now that we know how the first walker was created, mm -hmm. do you think these babies are like, they're stabbed as babies with one of those special knives and it turns them into a walker? The ice knives? Yeah. Could be. I always thought they were using dragon glass the way they were created by the children um, to create new whites, uh, new walkers, new neverborn. Uh, but yeah, you know, there's some kind of power in these ice swords that they have. And I don't think we've seen the last of that and what they can do and how that's going to combat fire. You know, because everyone's just like, oh, we got tons of fire. We got dragons, we got wildfire, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, clearly these creatures were created to be a weapon against man. This is something the children would have thought of. They have some way to fight that. So I could see those ice swords meaning a lot in the future. And I don't think that just because we've only seen a few White Walkers, that yeah. means that there's all there is. Ice swords, does that mean they can melt? I doubt it. Okay, because I was thinking those mirrors, you were, trying, you were trying to tell me, not trying to tell me, earlier you were saying there's got to be more importance to that. Those Astrolabe. Lanterns. What if they like point those lanterns at the walkers? And I think it's going to be the light bringer sword, the burning okay. sword up against an ice sword. Oh, I see. That could be fire and ice. Badass. Uh, moving along, uh, remember when I talked about Bloodworks, which is the nerdest? It's sure. Nerd yeah, that was amazing. It was very cool. You finally got to see it, and um, it was where this this dude who his bat, he's like a cool dude. He's got a big beard. He goes in. I won't reiterate the whole thing i already said he goes in behind the scenes of of what the game of thrones and he <laughs> he shows us the the back end of it all these people how many people work on all the, the weapons makeup, the, the costuming weapons. yeah so part two of that came out and he gets to be in the makeup and it's so fun to look at and it's crazy so if you guys haven't seen it That's go check cool. that out it's just fun to look at um and you kind of feel like you're a part of it because you're behind the scenes with them yeah one more thing. This is a wish list of mine. This will never happen. Maybe some someone in the internet world will do this eventually. Okay. I would. I think they should do on the off season. Game of Thrones episodes where it follows just one person. So mm -hmm. we've already seen. Like they don't have to reshoot anything. They just show the clips of this one person. For example, Tyrion's world. Mm -hmm. Okay, and you follow him along his storyline. There's plenty there. So just a compilation of his scenes from previous seasons, right? All put together. Yeah, but done so in a storied way, so it's not just cuts. Okay. So like, if there's another scene that you have to see to just make sense of the f one cut between Tyrion and the next one, clever editing. Yeah. Maybe some um, never before seen like deleted That'd scenes be and stuff. How fun would that be to watch? They could also put in some of those behind-the-scenes things that are on, like, the DVD bonus extras, like, interspersed. They could start out with his history and lore, like, about oh, yeah. the Lannisters and then go into that. Yeah, that'd be I really think that would cool. be really cool to look at. And you can, now it kind of gives you, because you see, we've, even though we do podcasts and we make notes, there's things we've forgotten about because so much happens. Oh, yeah. And we're already six seasons in, 60 hours no. Yeah, 60 hours. Uh, 
there'd be things that we forgot. And now we can really see from that one person's point of view. I don't know. They can HBO can make more money off of that, and we can have more fun in the off season. There's so many things they could do. And speaking of, I heard somebody talking about you know when they finally aired one of the Game of Thrones episodes or two, I think back to back, they had it shown in IMAX movie theaters. Mm -hmm. And this was one of the first times, or maybe the first time ever, that a TV series had been shown in a movie theater that way. People talked about how epic that was, how cool it was to see it on the big screen and with Mm -hmm. a bunch of fans, and would they do that again in season six? Because they have the perfect setup. With episode nine and ten of this season, Mm -hmm. nine being Battle of the Bastards, this huge battle scene that would be amazing on screen, and then ten with the nonstop action and the wildfire. I really hope that they decide to do that and bring that to the movie theaters. They would make... A ton of money yet yeah. again, and you know how many people would go see these two episodes. Yeah, definitely, in, we in would. Specific. I think Doctor Who does that too. Do they? they? Do that. Yeah. Oh, that would be cool. Uh, the last two seasons, they've done that. Well, if you're listening, HBO and whoever else needs to get together, yeah. please bring this to the screen. Talking about off seasons. Yes, let's uh. do our sneak peek through the heart tree, and look towards what's going to happen between now and season seven, and what could be coming up for season seven. We don't know exactly how many episodes are going to be in season seven or eight. People are assuming that there will be perhaps seven episodes. I think they were looking at total amount of screen time, Benioff and Weiss, when they talked about how much they foresaw having left. But they never talked about how it would break down. All we know is due to the smaller amount of remaining story content and the increased production value and time required to film episodes involving larger set pieces than previous seasons, they will have shorter seasons for seven and eight. Obviously, they'll be based on the books Winds of Winter and Dream of Spring. One little piece of news was that they were looking for other castles in Spain uh, where they could film, around which a significant number of battles would take place. So, as we thought, season seven could perhaps have quite a few battles and the ultimate culmination of White Walkers and people and what do they do about this. It's important to note, it's not just that we don't know, they don't know either. What we do know, however, is a little bit of information about the directors. Who will be coming back and who will not. If you haven't heard this already, a little bit of bad news. Not returning for season seven. Daniel Sackheim, a veteran GOT director. David Nutter, another veteran who did Mother's Mercy and The Red Wedding. And Miguel Sapochnik himself. Such sad news when you told me about this. Those are our favorite episodes. Yeah, all three of those directors. Now, not to say they might not come back for season eight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they have some kind of scheduling conflicts. There's no nothing bad happening between them and the showrunners. They just couldn't make it. This is a huge time commitment, a huge commitment on every front. And um, maybe they have episodes in mind that make more sense for these directors for season eight. Yeah, I'm thinking, I don't know. Yeah, okay, I have an episode in mind. A huge battle scene mm-hmm. for one of our directors. <laughs> uh, also, these directors are getting really popular now because people are seeing their skills. So they they have other projects. They have movies. They have their own passion projects that they yeah. want to do. And they have a commitment with us. They'll be on our podcast next week. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, Don't get kidding. excited, folks. Uh, <laughs> well, it would be cool to see, though, what they will be doing that they can't do Game of Thrones. Like, what is Miguel Spochnik working on? And we do have some of our veteran directors returning. Mark Millad, uh, 
not really our favorite as far as this season goes. Uh, but still amazing. Even the not so great episodes still are some of the most amazing things happening on TV. Uh, Jeremy Podesta will be coming back. Alan Taylor, who you might not remember, he has not done anything since season two, but he did episodes nine and ten of season one. So Baylor, where Ned was beheaded. That was a really amazing episode. He directed that. And in season two, he did episodes one, two, eight, and ten. Oh, wow. Busy that season. Yeah. He's also done Rome, Deadwood, Sopranos, Mad Men, Lost, and others. All right. So he so, knows what he's doing. Welcome back, Alan Taylor. And somebody new, we will be having Matt Shakeman. He's famously known for It's Always Sunny. Now... I'm not a huge fan of this show. My sister... I like season one. She loves this show. She would be really happy to hear about this. I just didn't see how is this a right fit for Game of Thrones. Uh, but I found out he's also done Mad Men, House, and Fargo. Some episodes for each of those. Okay, so he doesn't have one particular thing that he's good at. It seems like he's well-rounded. Yeah, and, um, you know, I could see for the right episode. Mm -hmm. If there's something particular we have in mind where he might fit in good there. All right, and we have one more touch of bad news. Oh, uh, dear. David Benioff and D.B. Weiss were in an interview uh, last week, or beginning of this week, and they had stated that there will be a delay for season seven, and the reason being winter. What I mean by that is, according to Weiss, quote, we don't have an air date yet, but next year we'll probably be late. We're starting a little bit later because, you know, the end of the season, winter is here, and that means sunny weather doesn't really serve our purposes anymore. Winter is not coming yet. <laughs> so we kind of pushed everything down the line so we can get some grim gray weather, even in the sunnier places we shoot. So I get what they're saying. Artistically, you can't have it it's just not possible to make it look like winter all the time and make and really get the environment the way they want it unless it's winter. So even their sunny places, they're going to wait till the winter of those hot places so that it looks a little more gray and a little more... Yeah, and even if they could, it wouldn't be natural. The, the actors themselves wouldn't actually be cold. There's so many things that probably wouldn't feel right if they had to fake it. Yeah. So I could see that. I just can't believe that they're actually doing that. I think also, on the other hand, they're probably like, there's no rush. If we can get more of that book time, we can kind of get some more ideas. Uh, I think Winds <laughs> of Winter is definitely coming out. I think some of the stalling that we've seen in season six, where certain storylines ran through and others just seem to freaking dangle, like Arya's, that don't make a lot of sense, I really do think part of that could be waiting on the next Bible to come out. Yeah. Um, so who knows? This could be a part of it too. Uh, that's very upsetting just because we want our freaking Game of Thrones. Yeah. But if it looks better and it is better when it does come out, um, okay. I'm fine. We just, have as long as we're not getting crazy. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want it too late after that. No, no, me neither. But don't you fret. We have other shows we will be reviewing Thank you again for listening. This was our bonus episode part one. Again, we have part two coming out soon. Until next time, this round's on me. This round is on me.